0: So, it is Christmas, as you guys had figured out, right? This is Christmas, and so, um, since it's Christmas, and since we have a lot of traditions at Christmas, um, and this might be a tradition for you guys, or it totally might not be a tradition for you, um, but maybe one of those traditions is you like to listen to or you like to sing the 12 Days of of Christmas, all right, that that song, The Twelve Days of Christmas. Now, and some of you, some of you, I can tell, you're really excited, and some of you, you're totally not. Um, But, uh, and that's kind of where we were at, and so what we decided to do is, instead of just singing The Twelve Days of Christmas, which is kind of boring, to be honest, and by the way, who knows what the whole deal is with a partridge in a pear tree, uh, I mean, that's just weird. So, since since that's weird, we thought we'd get far weirder, and we thought we would sing the Twelve Days of Christmas Wisconsin style for you guys. And so, we have changed, uh, well, a lot of the words, and we have decided that we are going to sing this Wisconsin style for you guys. So, I hope that you truly enjoy Twelve Days of Christmas Wisconsin style. Here we go.
1: Oh. Oh. Hey, take time, he and he never took with a bunch of black fingers.
0: a memory for you that you want to forget <laughs> as fast as possible oh, that's how we do it here at Northridge we like to have fun so that's a good thing um, thank you for being here today guys uh, believe it or not now I have to preach a message after all that now, like that's that's just crazy I don't know how you switch gears to that but we're so glad that you're here um, those of you who are here for the very first time, you've never been here, you're a guest with us first time, um, just want to say welcome to you. So glad to have you guys here. And, um, and then we want you to know something that's really, really important. We say this not just on Christmas, we say this every time we get together. And that is that Northridge Church is a safe place for you, no matter where you're at with God. If you've been walking with Jesus for a long time, or maybe you have just started a relationship with Jesus, or maybe you're here and you're not sure if you have one or if you want one, whatever, wherever you're at with God, this is a safe place for you, and we're glad to have you here, especially to celebrate Christmas. Um, so we just finished singing 12 Days of Christmas and doing all that kind of stuff, having a lot of fun with that tradition. Um, but at Christmas time, there's a lot of traditions, aren't there? A lot of traditions that we have. Maybe for you, it's getting together with family. Maybe it's putting up a Christmas tree. Maybe it's presents under the tree. Maybe uh, you do an Advent wreath. Maybe you don't. I don't know. Maybe you fill stockings and you hang them up on the mantle. Um, there's a lot of traditions, and some of you, maybe you know, those are kind of the traditional ones, the ones that you know have been around for a while. But some of you have added new traditions. Maybe some of you, let me, let me ask you this. I wanted to see a show of hands. How many of you have made this your new Christmas tradition? Yeah, I know. And some of you are lying. Like you, you do this, but you just don't want to admit that you watch Elf every Christmas now. So this is, this is just one of those things. We have a lot of traditions. And what we've been doing is we've been going through um, the last few weeks, we've been going through this interrupted series and talking about all the people in the Christmas story who God interrupted in their everyday life, and then what those people's response to God was. So what was their response when they were interrupted? Well, uh, today I want to talk a little bit about, just start by talking about a couple of traditions that we think of in the Christmas story, but ones that we've actually gotten wrong believe it or not. We've gotten some traditions wrong in the Christmas story. And, uh, and, and of course, last service I started this way, and I'm sorry to dash some hopes this, uh, this evening, uh, but let me just go into this. Uh, some of the traditions are, for example, uh, most of us, when we see the Christmas pageants, how many wise men are there? There's always three, right? The truth is, and you guys have heard me say this before, we have no idea how many wise men there were. The Bible does not say that there were three wise men. It just says that there were wise men. We know that there was more than one, so there wasn't just one, but there may have been two, there may have been ten, there may have been thirty. We have no idea. There were just wise men, and they came from the east, and they came to visit Jesus. The other thing is, we always kind of get this, um, you know, this, this collective, you've seen the nativity scene, right? Joseph and Mary, they're all always huddled around the manger, and then there's sheep milling around, cows, donkey maybe, whatever. And then there's shepherds, and then there's wise men. the wise men were not at the birth of Jesus. We think that they were, but they were not. We know that they weren't because of how far they had to travel and because they had to actually ask King Herod before they actually got to the birth of Jesus. So we know at the minimum it was the next day or a couple days later, but we're pretty sure that he was actually, it was probably almost a year out. And, and Jesus may have been even a toddler when they got there. And so we have all these things, and we have, Mary, how many of you have heard Mary rode to Bethlehem on a donkey? Right. How many of us know that? Because, you know, you always have to have there's no mention of anything that she rides into Bethlehem. Maybe she did, but we don't know. We don't know if she rode a donkey or a camel or, you know, whatever, had to ride on Joseph's shoulders. Who knows what what she did? We have no idea. Um, And sometimes we get this idea, too. Have you heard the story told this way, that that Mary and Joseph, they arrive in Bethlehem just in time. And they go to the innkeeper and they, they ask for room, but there's no room. And, and they just barely make it. And then all of a sudden she gives birth to Jesus. How many of you heard that? Well, that's not true either. They got there weeks before. How, how, many, how many of you would say, hey, let's take a long trip while she's very pregnant and about to have a baby. Let's, let's do that. That would be great. No, they wouldn't do that. And so we have all these traditions. And I'm sorry, I just destroyed all of your Christmases like in two minutes. I apologize for that. But there's a lot of traditions. Well, there's one tradition that I do want to start with and focus on a little bit because we're going to talk about this tonight. And that is the tradition of the innkeeper, not having any room for Jesus. And the reason I bring that that tradition up is the truth is there is actually no innkeeper in the Christmas story. Did you know that? The innkeeper literally does not exist. In the Christmas story or otherwise, even though we always have him as one of the characters in the Christmas plays, in the Christmas pageants. There was no innkeeper. Uh, And so we're going to get into that. But here's what I want to do tonight. I want to read the most famous part of the Christmas story. It's the popular one. It's the one that we all have heard. It's the one that talks about um, Caesar Augustus, you know, the Roman emperor and sets the stage and tells the birth of Jesus and all kind of stuff and Mary and Joseph. It's the one that we all kind of have heard somewhere along the way. But I want to read that, and I want to answer two questions tonight. These might be questions that you've asked yourself, or they might not. And if you haven't, it's a Christmas miracle. You get questions that you've never asked before. So these are the two questions. One of them is, why was Jesus born as a baby, as a human baby? Why did God, did you ever think about that? Why did God have his son come and be born as a human being? God could have sent Jesus any way he wanted to. He could have built a rocket, for all we know. I mean, you know, like shoot him down, like big explosion or something like that. He could have done anything he wanted, but he sent Jesus to earth as a baby. Why is that? We're going to talk about that. The second reason, or second question that we're going to talk about, is what should my response, what should your response, what should our response be when we come face-to-face with God in our lives? When we come face to face with Jesus, what should our response to Jesus be in our lives? So let's read the Christmas story, and then we'll unpack this a little bit. So we're going to start in Luke chapter 2, starting with verse 1. As always, it'll be on the screen behind me. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. It's just setting the historical background so we know when it took place. And everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. That tells you they didn't get there like the night of, right? While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths. And placed him in a manger, because there was no guest room available for them. So we just read the Christmas story. If you notice, there is no innkeeper in there, is there? There's none, not a single innkeeper in that whole story. And the reason is because he doesn't exist. Now, the way that we get the innkeeper tradition of the of the Christmas plays and Christmas pageants, all that stuff. The way that we get that is from verse 7. Let me go back and read verse 7. This is where we get the tradition of the innkeeper. It says this. It says, And she, Mary, gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him, Jesus, in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. Now, let me ask you if you've heard it read this way. Have you heard it read because there was no room for them in the inn? Okay. How many of you have heard that one? That's the more traditional, like that's the one everybody knows that we could probably quote it because there was no room for them in the inn. The problem is that we've translated this English from Greek. And sometimes we don't get it probably it's accurate, but it's maybe not the best. And so in this case, a lot of the translations, not the one that we read, obviously, but one of the trans, some of the translations say because there was no room in the inn. Okay, where we get the word in is, or hotel, if you want to say it that way, the word hotel, we get from a Greek word called catalyma. Katalyma. Okay, this is the Greek word that we translated. When we look at it, we're like, okay, because there was no room in the catalyma. Okay, I don't know what the other Greek words are. Did you catch that? So I'm just going to say, because there was no room in the catalyma. <laughs> That's the extent of my Greek. Okay, so, so you got that. So the catalyma is talking about whatever there was no room in. The problem is that this Greek word does not describe a public lodging like a hotel or an inn. It can. It was misused sometimes in their, in their culture for that, but that's not what the word meant. The word katalama actually means guest room, okay? And so what this word was intended to mean was that there was no guest room available. There was no extra room available for Mary and Joseph and Jesus, okay? Okay. In fact, let me just kind of give you a couple of points that kind of reinforce this. Luke, who is the author of the book of Luke, we're very creative with our names. Luke, the author, if you fast forward a few chapters, just eight chapters ahead, chapter 10, Luke writes another Greek word and he's telling a story and he's talking about a completely different thing, not related to Christmas at all. And he's telling a story about a hotel. Have you heard of the... um, The Good Samaritan story. Okay, you remember when the guy takes him to an inn or into a hotel and take care of him? In that version of the story, Luke, the author, the same one who wrote the Christmas story, he writes a completely different Greek word. He writes the word pandachion. Pandachion. What does that mean? That literally translates means a public lodging or a public hotel or public inn. okay. So logically, you go to the same guy who wrote the Christmas story and he writes Pondahion for this other story to say, yeah, it was a hotel, but he doesn't use that same word. He obviously knew the word because he wrote it like eight chapters later, but he didn't use that word in the Christmas story. Why? Because there is no inn. There's no hotel in Bethlehem. On top of that, by the way, Bethlehem is tiny. It's like a few hundred people. They didn't have a hotel. All right. Now, if you go to Bethlehem today, it's a real place. You can go there to, to this day. There's like, it's like 25,000 people, I think. Okay. So it's a pretty good size place, about double the size of Wanakee. Okay. But back then in Jesus's day, it was a few hundred people at the very most. There was no public lodging or hotel there because there's no business for it. And so you might ask yourself, good, what does this have to do with anything? <laughs> Right? Because some of you are really excited about the history. Some of you are like, can we please move on and get to the good stuff? And I understand that. But the question is, what what bearing does this have on the Christmas story? What is the point? Well, the point is this: it's important to know where Jesus was born, not for Jesus' sake, but for who actually made room for him. It's a big deal for who sacrificed for Jesus in order for him to be born, isn't it? And so where is Jesus born? Let me just tell you kind of kind of help connect some of the dots for this. The where that Jesus was born was in a house, most likely somebody's house, a personal dwelling of some kind. Let me explain. Okay, I have a diagram of a first century house in Palestine. Okay, This house is kind of what it would look like. If you were to look at this size, this would be approximately, not exactly, but approximately maybe a fourth of this room in size, Okay, the entire house for, for somebody that lived in first century Palestine or Israel. Okay? So in that house, at the top upper level is where their living quarters would be. This is where they kind of feel safe. This is where they would go to bed at night. And when I say bed, by the way, do you see those little things that are rolled up? Those are their mats. That's their bed. OK, in, in Jesus's day, you did not have a bed that was up above the ground that did not exist unless you were royalty or extravagantly wealthy, like ridiculous wealthy. The, the most the most wealthiest people in the planet, on the planet at that time, maybe would have had a bed that said above the ground. Everybody else, they got to roll out mats. <whistles> night, <Night-night>. night <laughs> on your mat. Okay. that's what they did. They would roll out the mats and they would sleep on the upper level. That was their safe place. That's where they lived. That's where they spent the night. OK, now, if you look down at the lower level, this is your multipurpose area. This is where you do your cooking, your cleaning, your everyday stuff. Notice that the floor is just dirt. OK, it's just packed dirt. It, there's there's nothing fancy about it. If you were pretty wealthy, you might have clay or tile. And if you were ridiculous amount of money, you would have wood floors. OK, but that was. Virtually unheard of. I mean, probably nobody even saw those kind of things. Okay, so this is what you have. And in that lower level, what they would do is at night, because they, this is, remember, this is in Jesus' day. So this is the days before ADT you know security software you know you can't punch in the code like hey jesus go down and punch in the code make sure the door's locked you know this is a long time before all that stuff and so so they don't have security they just have open dwellings to everything so what they would do is their most valuable possessions in that day were their animals and so what they would do is they would actually bring the animals in at night into the house and they would actually have a place in the multipurpose area. And they just let the animals kind of be in the lower level of the house. How many of you moms especially would love to have animals like cows and goats? Just bring them on in. Let's do this. No, probably not. But that, but that is what they did. That was normal. Because for two reasons, by the way. One, to protect them from the weather. Two, to protect them from thieves. Okay? Otherwise, you walk by and you're like, hey, that's a nice goat. <laughs> cool. You know, And they walk off and there they go. Okay, so you bring your animals in at night if they were valuable. Okay? And so the answer to the question, where was Jesus born? He was most likely, we don't know this for sure, but he was most likely born in the lower level of a personal house, of a person's per, uh, dwelling. Because there was no guest room, there was no mat area for them to stay. And so Mary and Joseph and Jesus... They ended up, Jesus being born, down in that multi-purpose area with all the animals. Okay, why do we know that this is true? How can we see? There's a lot of evidence for this. The biggest thing of all is where did Mary obviously put Jesus as soon as he was born? Where did he place him? In the manger. And you know what a manger is, right? A manger is just a really nice, cozy, warm Christmas word for feeding trough for the animals. It's okay? what it is. It's a feeding trough for animals. But they needed a place to put Jesus. They didn't have a crib. They didn't have a mat. They didn't have anything. They had dirt floor. And so they placed him gently, wrapped him in cloths, and placed him in a manger. So what is the point of all that? The point is this. Even though the people, whoever it was, whether it was relatives, whether friends, whether strangers, whoever it was, they didn't have space for Mary and Joseph or Jesus. But they did something that you and I need to do in our own lives. And this is the answer to our first question. What should our response be to Jesus? We get the answer from the Christmas story. The answer of our response to Jesus is that we we need to do what they did in their house. And that is make room for him. We need to make room for Jesus. Just so that we're clear, there's never going to be enough space for Jesus. Jesus. Because I don't know about you, but I like to control my life. My life is fairly busy. There's a lot of stuff going on, right? How many of you, I mean, I've asked this before. How many of you are sitting around saying, man, I don't know what to do with all of my time? Unbelievable. I'm just, there you go, Katie. She's the only one, all right? (laughs) Katie said, I don't know what to do with my time, all right? But other than Katie, all right, other than Katie, everybody else, where are we at? We don't, I mean, we don't, you're not, we don't have space. We're not like, man, I'm I'm looking for stuff to fill my life with. Man, I just, I need some more things. Right? There's never a good time, but that's not the point. The point is when we come face to face with God, with Jesus, are we willing to make room for him like they did in that house? This whole series, this whole Christmas series has kind of been leading to that, hasn't it? If you think about all the people we've talked about, they had to either make room for Jesus or not. That was their choice. They made room for Jesus or they didn't. Hey, the wise men, what do they do? They see the star in the sky. You know what that is? That's Jesus. That's Jesus interrupting their life. And they had to make the choice. Are we going to ignore it and be like, hey, cool star. Uh, But I have a lot of scrolls to work on. Right, I've got, a, I've got a scroll project tomorrow. We have a scroll board meeting. I've got to be ready for it. Right? They could have done that. Said, wow, cool. Ha. Thanks, Jesus, for giving us the sign. Ha. Back to life. Right? But the wise men didn't. They said, whoa, this is, this is something we need to pay attention to. We need to put Jesus in our life. And so they sacrificed their time, their energy, their money to get to be in the presence of Jesus. Then there's King Herod, right? King Herod is, is interrupted by Jesus, and he finds out about the birth of Jesus. And, and King Herod, he's, he's one of those guys that, that when he sees it, he's kind of threatened by it. And so he does the complete opposite of the wise men and just about everybody else in the Christmas story. King Herod does completely opposite. What does he do? He's like, not only does he not ignore Jesus, he wants to take him out. I mean, he wants to take Jesus out before he becomes a major threat to him. And so he tries to get rid of Jesus. In in essence, what King Herod says is, I'm going to control my own life, God. I know that you're there. Uh, I know that Jesus is born. I want nothing to do with it. Thanks, but no thanks. I'm good. I'm going to live my life. That's what King Herod said. You know how well that worked out for King Herod? (laughs) Not at all. You can just read the history books. You don't have to even go to the Bible for that one. Read what happens to King Herod. It doesn't go well for him. In history. Okay. And then you have the shepherds. And they're out in the fields. Taking care of their flocks by night. Why do we say some of these things these ways? I don't know. But anyway. That's what they, that's what they were doing. Right. They were taking care of their flocks by night. It was nighttime, and they were taking care of sheep. All right. And all of a sudden the angels come in and go. Hey. And scared you know, them crazy. All right. And all of a sudden. Hey. Guess what? Jesus is born. And they had a choice to make. Are we going to stay with the sheep? What we know. What's comfortable, or are we going to go see Jesus? Thankfully, they went to see Jesus. And then you have Mary and Joseph. They had their plan set. We talked about them last Sunday, didn't we? They had their plan set, and Jesus said, "Ah, God said, we have something different for you. You need to give birth to the Savior of the world. It's a little bit different than what you had planned. What are you going to do? And they chose to completely alter their path. But here's what's interesting about the whole Christmas story. You might be here and you're wondering, perhaps, is God asking you to make room for Jesus? It's nice to read the story. It's nice to show up on Christmas and all kind of stuff. But the question has to become, is God, is Jesus interrupting your life? Does Jesus want you, does Jesus want you to make him the center of your life? To accept him into your soul, into your heart? The very clear answer to that is yes. You know how I know that? Well, let's go back to the Christmas story. You know who Jesus asked to commit their life to him? Literally everybody. Everybody. Okay, think about it this way the wise men, they were extremely wealthy. We know that by the gifts that they brought to Jesus, they were extravagantly wealthy. And they were foreigners. They were not from Israel. And yet they believed in Jesus. They gave their life to Jesus. They sacrificed their time, effort, and energy for him. They made room for Jesus. Okay? Jesus called the most powerful people on the planet. He called King Herod, who was not powerful in terms of the entire world. But in that region, he controlled the people in that region. He had a massive amount of power. And God called him, too. Not just wealthy, not just the powerful, but think about this. He also called shepherds. Remember what the shepherds are? If King Herod is over here on the spectrum of wealth and power and everything else, you know where the shepherds are? They're way over here. <laughs> they are the lowest rung of society, the scum of their society. Nobody wants them. Nobody can stand them. Nobody wants their job. They're smelly. No, ugh, Shepherds. When the shepherds showed up to the party, everybody left. Seriously, the, the, nobody wants to be a shepherd. Nobody wants to be around shepherds. They're hated. And yet Jesus interrupted the shepherds and actually asked the shepherds of all people to be the first ones to see baby Jesus. They maybe were the only ones potentially to actually see newborn Jesus. Isn't that crazy? God called shepherds the lowest of the low. But he also called King Herod, the most powerful person in that region. And he called the wise men from some other country. And he also called, you know who else he called? He called Mary and Joseph to give their life to him. You know who Mary and Joseph are? They're middle class suburbanites. They're your average Joe, average just here we are. (laughs) We work Monday to Friday. This is what we do. Right? It's just your average middle class family. That's what it is. Mary and Joseph is like, Joseph, you know, he works and Mary does her thing. And they they got average person in Palestine in first century. God calls all of us. And the question, of course, is, is he asking you to give your life to him? The answer is yes. The only difference in the answer for all of us is whether or not we've responded. So that's one question. How do we respond to Jesus based on the Christmas story? But then there's that other question that I mentioned to you. And that other question is very simple as well. And maybe you've asked this before. Why did Jesus come to earth as a human baby? Why did God send Jesus as a human being. Why did he choose to do it that way? The only way, the best way that I can answer that is by telling you a quick story. And I'm going to ask the band to go ahead and come up while I start this story. This story is about a man, essentially. This man is a normal guy. He's, uh, he's a good husband. He's a good father. Uh, had a family and everything. He's generous. He's loving. It's a good guy, really good guy. Uh, but then it came to Christmas Eve, Christmas time. And it was that day and everything, and it was getting closer to Christmas Eve time when they were supposed to leave for services. And the and, uh, the wife could tell that that the man was just, he was just, he just wasn't seeming right. And uh, a little bit before they left, he, he told his wife, he said, listen, I... I've decided I just can't go to church with you for this Christmas Eve because I, I just can't buy this whole God sent Jesus as a human thing. I just I just don't understand why he would do that. I just don't get it. And so I feel like I just can't go do this. And so he said, I know it's important. I know that you guys believe this. I know that this is a big deal. But he said, I, I, I want to be respectful about it, but I just can't go. And so his family was sad about it, but they, the, you know, the rest of the family hopped in the car and they drove away to go to the Christmas Eve services. Well, as soon as they left, it started to snow. They knew there was a snowstorm coming and a snowstorm came in it started snowing. The wind started blowing. It started to get pretty nasty. And the guy, he kind of sat down a little closer to the fire because it was pretty cold. And, uh, and, and he was sitting there and he was reading his newspaper and all of a sudden he heard this thud. And then he hears another thud. You know, you know how this goes, right? When you're sitting there and you hear something, and the first time you're not sure if you heard it. You're kind of like, uh, no, I'm going crazy. Okay. All right? And then you hear it again. You're like, oh, okay, I'm not going crazy. That really was a thud. And, and then there was a several more thuds. <laughs> and he thought, Sounds like somebody's throwing snowballs at my house or something, and so he gets up out of the chair and he goes out and he looks out and he all he sees he doesn't see anybody throwing snowballs, but just barely through the snow he looks down and then kind of the light from the glow from the window he sees a, a small flock of birds that are just flapping around and they're kind of they got caught in the storm and they're just trying to figure out where to go. They're running all over the snow and flapping their wings and everything, and he realizes that they're trapped. They don't they're lost. They're they're cold. They don't know what to do. And so this guy, he realizes, man, I, I need to save the birds. I need to take care of them. And so, uh, so he gets on his boots and his coat and his hat, and you know, he bundles all up and, and everything. And, and he goes out and he realizes, hey, the only thing I can probably do is if I can get them into the barn where it's warm and where it's, there's light and it's safe, then, then they'll be fine. They'll make it through the night and they'll make it through the storm. And so he trudges through the snow and the snow is getting pretty deep at this time. so he trudges through the snow and he and he throws open the barn doors, you know, the big barn doors where you slide them open. So he slides open the barn doors and and he turns the light on and and you can just see, you know, when you when you you see a a snowstorm and you see a light kind of in the distance just off it a little bit and you can see it's just inviting. It's warm. It's like, oh, I just want to go there. That's what it was like. And so he opens up the barn and there's this light. And then he thinks maybe the the birds will head that way and they'll realize it's warm, but they didn't. They just kept flapping around. They didn't know what to do. They were cold, they were freezing. And he thought, they're going to freeze to death. And so he realizes, hey, I, I know what I can do. I can feed them. If I if I can get food into them, then then they'll go to the barn. And so he gets out some breadcrumbs and he starts sprinkling the breadcrumbs, you know, along the snow and everything, and, and and puts it right next to where they're just kind of running all around. And he gets them and he takes it all the way to the barn. But they they don't take the food. They don't head toward the barn. He's kind of starting to get a little frustrated. He's like, okay, I've got to get them into the barn. I'm getting cold now. This is getting bad, and they're going they're just gonna freeze. And so he kind of goes. Yeah. You know when you try to get something to go somewhere that doesn't want to go there, right? So he's running around trying to chase the birds, and he's like shoo-shoeing them, you know. Go to the barn, you know, and trying to run through the snow. Have you, have you ever had, tried to herd animals like you? Like not a horse or a dog, but you? It just doesn't work very well. So that's what he's trying to do. He's shoo-shoeing them in there, and they just won't listen. He tries to catch them so he can just carry them in there. They, they were too fast for him. So he, he's, he's just exasperated. He's like, I can't, I can't save the birds. And he realizes, I am just a big, huge, scary creature to them. They don't understand what I'm trying to do. I'm just big, huge, scary thing to these birds. And the guy realizes then at that point, he, said, he thinks, the only way that I can get these birds to get into the barn and save themselves and be saved from this storm is to become a bird. If I could become a bird and actually communicate with them and actually show them the way, they would trust me and they would know what to do. They could follow me into the barn. And then it was at that point that the Christmas bells from the church, he could barely hear them, but he heard the Christmas bells ring. And then it clicked for him. And the man sank in the snow to his knees. Because everything flooded in and he realized everything that he had been wrong about and had missed his entire life. You see, God sent Jesus so that he could show us the way to salvation from sin. It's the whole point of Christmas. It's the whole point of everything. We get lost in the presents and everything else. The whole point of Christmas is that God sent Jesus to be like you and I so that we could follow him and trust him and understand what he's doing. God knew that we would understand sacrifice. When Jesus sacrificed his life for you and for me because of our sin, he knew that we wouldn't necessarily like hearing about it, but we would understand it. God knew that was the only way to get through to us. And so he sent Jesus, not as something else or in some dramatic way, but as a baby so that we could understand that he wants nothing more than for us to have a relationship with him. So here's the deal tonight. I know many of you, and I know some of you are new, But the truth is, for all of us here, some of us here probably already have committed and given our life to Jesus, but some of us have not. And so in a moment, in a few moments, it would be kind of a wasted night, to be honest, if we didn't do this. So we're going to give you an opportunity if you feel like God is tugging on your heart, if you have never, if you're not sure or you know you've never given your life to Jesus, you've never given your heart to him. Maybe you've been to church a few times, maybe you've been to church a lot. We had a guy that I was in church with um, on staff before this. He'd been leading worship for, I don't know, how many years? 20 years, something like that. And he realized after a long time that even though he had played church for a long time, he had never actually accepted Jesus. And he gave his life to Jesus after like 20 some years of leading worship in a church. Not He wasn't the worship leader, but he was on, one, on the team. And he realized he needed to give his life to Jesus. He had never done that. So maybe you're here and God's tugging on your heart and you're not sure or you know you have never given your life to Jesus. And if that's you and you really feel God tugging on your heart tonight, then we're gonna give you an opportunity to respond to that. But first, I want us to just listen to a song. I'm not gonna sing it. You can thank God for that. But Laura's gonna sing it. It's called "No Well. It's an amazing song. Here's what I would encourage you to do as we wrap this up tonight. Just listen to this song. Maybe you need to close your eyes. And if God is tugging on your heart tonight, that's not me, that's not the snow, it's not candles being lit. If God is tugging on your heart, that means God wants you to respond and accept him, to accept Jesus. The question is, will you? Will you respond? So as we sing this song, listen to these words. They're amazing words. And just allow God to do what he wants to do with you. And then after that, I'll come up and we'll have an opportunity for you to give your life to Jesus if you want, if you really feel that you need to. So let's listen to this song, Noel, and then we'll do that.